Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Hope everyone's doing fine. Today is our weekly podcast day. It's a, always a fun day for me because I get to talk about different topics with a lot of listeners, but I also have experts on, so I don't have to be the expert. I get to have fun, and I get to ask questions, and I get to do something that I don't typically get to do, which is more than anything host, but I really enjoy it, and I really enjoy learning from my experts as well as enjoying their company and getting to know them. Today is a really interesting topic. I am sure as you have seen tons of shows about it and heard about it. There's even specific shows about it that just really find different people who do this or have this issue weekly on, on their show. And it's always amazing to me, and I'm sure it is to you, even though as much as I know and as much as I've treated and a lot that I've seen, I still continue to be amazed at the extent of this issue. And the issue is really about anxiety, which is at the core, which we'll talk about with our expert today. But anxiety is the driver of a lot of the issue behind this problem today, which is hoarding. And what are the symptoms of hoarding? What is the treatment of hoarding? Is hoarding really an anxiety issue? Is it really just an obsessive compulsive counterpart? You know, those are the kinds of questions I want to ask our expert today, because I don't think people understand really what is entrenched and what is wrapped around all of the stuff that's at the core that we see the hoarding behavior. And there's got to be a lot of stuff behind that and what drives somebody to just hoard and collect and even put their lives in danger from a physical, emotional, financial standpoint to hoard and collect. What is driving all of that? So call me back. I would like to know what your thoughts are. What is hoarding all about for you guys? What do you think it is? Does anybody know somebody who's hoarding? We're going to ask our expert a lot of these questions, how to even begin the topic of asking somebody or telling somebody that you think they may have a problem, where to refer them, how to get some help. What are the risk factors of somebody who's going to hoard? If your mother hoards, does that mean you're going to hoard? I want to know a lot of these answers. And at what point does excessive clutter cross that line to become something to worry about? So give me a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Every caller will get a free copy of my book, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. Give me a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW. So joining me today talking about this really interesting topic of hoarding and collecting and all of the stuff that's wrapped around that to understand it better, what are the risk factors? What is this actually that's happening? Why is it all over television? Why are people obsessed, obviously, with it? Is a really well-versed, well-written, very honorable woman, Gail Stakecki. 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 Thank you. I've been trying to do that all morning. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, I think you stepped out of a meeting to be on with us. I really appreciate it. Sure. I want to talk a little bit about hoarding, your understanding of it, how you got into, you know, studying it and treating it and writing such great books. I want my, my listeners to be able to understand, like, when does it cross the line to I just collect in a cluttered house to I'm hoarding to where to go and how to start those conversations. So tell me a little bit about it. Well, the crossing the line is really about impairment. So the point at which there's so much clutter that it's hard to sit in the chairs or it's hard to use the table or you have to kind of wend your way through the path in order to get into the bedroom or maybe even there's stuff you have to move off the bed to get into bed. That's when there's a problem. Ah, okay. So... 
tripping and it becoming an impairment to your physical and mental health? Uh, yes, I would say both, because this is certainly a problem that is a mental health problem. Uh, we would define it that way, and we expect it shortly to appear in the new DSM-5. Oh, great. It's also got physical consequences for many, many people. So we have learned from our research that the number of health-related problems is much higher for people who have a hoarding problem than somebody who's, for example, got another problem with perhaps depression or anxiety. Really? Tell me more. Like, like what are you seeing? Well, for some reason, we're seeing a bit of overweight in this population, and uh, there's a little bit of new evidence that suggests there may be a genetic link mm. between the hoarding-related gene and uh, obesity problems. But we also see other kinds of classic symptoms, which are things like COPD, where the environment is hard for people to breathe in. And that, that means chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Breathing problems that go with that. Uh, we've seen some people who have skin problems because the home has not only clutter, but has accumulated mold or mildew or other problems of that nature. So allergies too, I would imagine. Exactly. So they're making this link. That's interesting because you're going to have all this stuff laying around your house. It's going to get, like you said, moldy, and you're going to have mildew. You're going to have spores flying around. And if you have any other health-related issues, you could exacerbate, make them worse, or you could even start with new medical problems. That's exactly correct. And then what, what goes on in somebody's mind? Like, how do they begin to hoard? I mean, is that something that, you know, a parent would say, well, little Johnny, when he was 5 and 10, used to hang on to everything. He never let go of his blanket, and he never let go of, you know, I couldn't get rid of his, his teddy bears. Or Like, do you see it that early, or do you really see it at a different point in life? You do see it early, although not necessarily when they're small children. The, the largest group for onset age is between about 10 and 20. And the majority of people that we see who are in their 50s, on average, of course, you know, the range yeah. is usually somewhere around late 30s all the way up into one's 80s. Wow. But the average age for most of the people who come seeking help is about 50. Ah, very good. And then what makes them come in, do you think? Well, I think the problem has gotten bad enough at that point over the years that they really are impaired and they've begun to recognize as they head into their later years that this is not how they wanted to live. So if you see, you know, you see that sometimes it starts between like 10, 20 years of age. And what, what are parents typically reporting that they see in these children or the patients themselves that they can remember back to? They remember that they were different from their peers at school, for example, that they had trouble throwing out homework assignments that they had finished and were not needed anymore, or old textbooks or things of that nature. When they uh, received gifts, they would have trouble getting rid of the packaging to the gifts. Uh -huh. Usually parents control it at that point. Right, right, right. Room, but the house is managed. Okay. Is it rooted and cored in anxiety? Is that what's driving a lot of this, not letting go or, or what needing to collect? And, or is it, is it a separation thing? What is it like it's at one, the core? Anxiety is one of several emotions that comes to play. So pe a number of people are afraid that if they throw something out, then they're going to turn around in the next week and find that they need it. So they're anxious about getting rid of something that they might need. Okay. But then there are another group of people, for example, who are concerned. They feel guilty. They're concerned about wasting things that could one day be useful. 
And there are some other people who are sad. The idea of throwing something out makes them feel a grief response as if the object itself had a sort of like a person. It's a bit of anthropomorphizing. So, you know, when you try to throw out the uh, leftover container from yogurt, you feel bad as if that container deserves to have a life of its own because, after all, it might still be useful. And so there's a lot of guilt and sometimes grief. And so when you see somebody from the beginning, you start to kind of gather this kind of information, and then when you see what their responses are to throwing something or parting from something, and that is that what kind of starts the dictation of the next steps for you in treatment? Yes, it is because we're going to have to help people get through those emotions as they begin to learn how to organize the mess that they've got and how to stop letting things come into the house because acquiring is a big problem. And they also then have to learn to get rid of the excess and to decide what is okay to get rid of and you know what really makes sense for people to hang on to. And how do you decide what is okay, or how do you get them to see what is what they need to get rid of? Most of the time, I think we're using our own judgment call. Now, most of us who are doing this treatment are mental health professionals or professional organizers, people who have a good bit of experience with some of the strong urges to save things. And see, and that's where I have a little bit of a hard time understanding. So if you're not a mental health professional and you're really working with somebody and, and you're stirring up issues for them as they're separating from their yogurt container or whatever. How are they equipped to deal with that? How do, do they then refer out to somebody? Yes, they often do. If it's beyond uh, what seems like a manageable level of emotion, they uh. will often seek someone with mental health expertise. But there is a, a group of professional organizers that focuses especially on disorganization and have worked hard to learn enough about hoarding that they can go quite a distance. And, and do you see a lot of the symptoms spilling over into their like life as far as when a patient presents that their anxiety affecting their sleeping or their eating or their ability to function, go to work, whatever? Do you ever see that level? We do see that level, but I would say we see a surprising number of people who, despite a very, very cluttered home, can still function at work reasonably effectively. How is, I don't, I don't get that. If you're that tied up in holding on and not letting go and guilty and whatever, how do you go to work? I mean, you just leave it behind. In fact, it's often for, more, much more comfortable to escape the house than it is to stay there. So the issue isn't not leaving the house. The issue is just you got to pack rat it in and then you feel safe and you can go. Right. And uh, they try to control the problem at work and sometimes they're more successful there because someone else has control. Whereas at home, if they're the one in charge, they don't exercise the control. Ah, uh, got it. What is the, the carryover then? How long does it take somebody to really, like, do you go in there, you start to identify the connection between the things and the feelings and, and what's driving it, and then do you start cleaning out immediately? Or do you give them time to start to process and maybe a month? Like, is there a time lag before you start getting that truck backed up to the house and filling it up? The truck is probably never going to come in unless they are ready to have serious hauling done. The majority of people that we're seeing who are volunteering to come in and get help have what I would call moderate or moderately severe clutter. They don't have the super severe end of it that we sometimes see on the media shows. Uh, so the stuff we see on TV is extreme. Is definitely extreme and not all that common in the population of people who've got a hoarding problem. 
obviously when it's extreme, it has very serious consequences. Right. But that, that's good to know that it is even in it mo- a lot of times it's lesser than we see on television because it's a little scary. I, I can imagine a lot of our listeners are going to be relieved to know that you don't have to be that bad to get some help and that it's very extreme what we're seeing. And that's not a lot of the people. Right. And I would urge people to go in and get some help if they think that they have strong tendencies in this direction. And that leads me to my next thing. Then how do you know if you should go get help or how do you know how to begin the conversation with somebody that you may know or love that you think has these issues? At the point at which your home is starting to be a place that you're embarrassed about and you're afraid to invite people over for fear that they'll make a comment, that's when you need help and you should seek it at that point. Okay. And that's a general rule for anybody. Yes. How do you talk to somebody that you love, your husband, your wife, your mother, your sister, you know, that kind of stuff, your friend? Because aren't you going somewhere where they're not going to really want you to go? The main issues to talk about are the safety issues or the ones where uh, the, you know, adult child or the sibling or the spouse or a partner, whatever, is noticing that the person isn't able to do some of the things that they know the person has told them they want to do. And so if you can't have your grandchildren over to play, that's about what you're trying to do in your life and what's interfering. So the, the discussion should start and be focused around what you'd like to be able to do but can't because of the clutter. That and especially what's dangerous. When the, if a fire would start and the person, the fire department can't get in the front door, we've got a very serious problem. And I'm afraid that, for example, adult children of parents who are hoarding would really need to step in at that point and say, I can't really allow you to do this because it's just so dangerous and I would feel so guilty if something happened to you because I didn't do something to help. Very at good. that point, though, they have to help broker a referral someone who can step in. Right. And that, that, what is that about? Like, how would somebody go about those steps? Uh, if the person is older and yeah. would qualify for aging services, they can call the Department of Aging. Okay. Uh, if the person is uh, you know, of middle age and needs some help and has any kind of disability, disability services can often help. Otherwise, it's probably a call to a mental health professional that uh, has some specialization in this area. Uh, International OCD Foundation is a very good place to find referrals across the country. For okay. And that's on the net? That's on the net, www.ocfoundation.org. Anywhere else they can look for resources? If they go and look at the um, professional organizing website, they will often find people who can help at that more moderate level of clutter and look particularly for the people who specialize in disorganization because that's a, a major feature of hoarding. Okay. And, and is it safe to just, if they really maybe don't live where there's a lot of resources, if they go to their, their doctor or they go to a local psychiatrist, somebody who handles anxiety disorders or a therapist? Some of those people have some skills. We obviously don't have enough people who are really well-trained right. in treatment for hoarding yet, which is why I steer people to the OC Foundation website, because there's a lot of information on there about hoarding. Okay. Do you mind taking a voicemail with me from one of our callers? No, feel free. Hi, Dr. Sophie. This is Fred, and I have a question and a comment about today's topic of, of hoarding. Um, the situation involves my, my aunt, who is not a woman of means, but um, she has a, a strong liking for these expensive porcelain figurines that are made by a company called Yadro. And whenever she has any extra money, 
she saves it up and then goes out and buys some more figurines. Now, she doesn't have a lot of them. I wouldn't call her a hoarder by any means, but she can't afford this, and all of her free money is going towards these. I know they, they give her joy. She displays them around the house. Um, there's a situation. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. Thank you. I would call that compulsive buying okay. rather than hoarding. Okay. And it is possible for someone with a hoarding problem to also have a compulsive buying problem. But compulsive buying, for the most part, tends to uh, live independently as its own problem. And you can think of it uh, as an impulse control problem where the person gets a great deal of pleasure out of something. Gambling is one of these, for example. And they can't control the impulse, so it's very costly for them in ways that are debilitating. Right. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Many people listening will say, well, isn't it an impulse control that you can't give up something, your yogurt container, whatever it is, that I end up keeping a lot of them? Impulse control problems are driven mainly by positive emotions. There's something very exciting about doing the buying, whereas giving up, throwing something out has got a lot of negative emotions attached to it. That, that's such a key piece to this whole topic that we really have to make people understand. Hoarding is around a lot of negative feelings. And, and also the acquisition part has a lot of positive feelings. And we do see people when they're actually beginning to work on their sorting of their clutter will find things in the pile that they're very pleased to find because they've been missing them for so long. So there are elements of positive emotion in hoarding that are like the gambling and the addiction and the impulse control problems. But then there are also these other very negative emotions like anxiety, guilt, grief, that are much more like anxiety and depressive type problems. Okay, that makes sense. And then is it safe to say then that whether it's a positive focus of emotion or negative focus of emotion, in general, somebody is trying to soothe themselves somehow? Yes, I would say that that's true for most of us. You know, we all want to feel good whenever we can. And if we feel bad, we try to do things that make it better. If we feel good, we try to keep doing those things. So the buying and the, the more positive focused behaviors and, and feelings are, you know, what we want to keep doing. And then the giving up and the cleaning up and the negative feeling that comes with giving and separating with hoarding is something we don't really want to do and why we collect. Right. So when somebody's got the positive emotional end of it, the trick is to figure out what are the alternative behaviors that would also satisfy some of those that need to feel good about something. What are the other choices that wouldn't cause them to spend so much money or so much time doing something that is really working against them? Do you ever refer people for medication, evaluations, those kinds of things? Do you ever add that to the treatment plan, or is it usually talking and actually going into the home sometimes? For the most part, we don't add medication to our work because we haven't seen any studies come out that suggest that there are meds that would really be helpful for hoarding per se. Now, if somebody's very depressed, we certainly might refer them for some medication to help with that. And so what if, if when you're trying to pull them away or they're going through all of this stuff and starting to think about letting go and cleaning up, they get anxious? Do you treat that? Do you give them, you know, CBT or whatever, or is it a medication kind of thing too? Uh, mainly the CBT elements because anxiety goes down with practice. Right. You just have to stick it out, and it's very helpful to have a supportive person or other mechanisms to feel like you can get through it. 
And so we'll do everything we can in therapy and CBT models to help people continue to work on the discarding, but we'll keep it at a modest level. We won't ask them to throw out things that are especially hard for them early in the treatment process because that's just too difficult and they're much more likely to give up. Right, you wait till they're stronger. Exactly. Okay, so before I let you go, I want you to tell me a little bit more about this book that you're working on for human service professionals because as you know, I run the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. I'm the medical director and oversee all the health and mental health care. And so what is that about with the health professionals and community efforts? That's a book where uh, Dr. Christiana Bradiotis, uh, who works closely with me, yeah. uh, she is the first author on that, and I'm the last author. That book is intended for the wide variety of professionals in any discipline, not just mental health, but also, as you say, the fire department, the people who work on Problems with right. social services, social services, housing services. Right. Anyone that comes into contact with hoarding, uh, there's a chapter for each type of profession in it, and how to think about what you do first and what you do next, and who you need to talk with in, in order to help someone with a hoarding problem. That's great. What's the name of that book? The Hoarding Handbook. Okay. A guide for human service professionals. Bradiotis, Sorrentino, Schmalish, and Steckity. And we can buy that online? You can. Amazon has it. It's an Oxford University Press book. And how do we find you online and your books? Again, Amazon, if you just look up Stekety, Okay. Uh, and I suppose we have to spell it for people. Yes, S-T-E-K-E-T-E-E. That's right. Uh, then you'll find my other books on uh, for treatment professionals, for mental health professionals, as well as... Uh, our book for the public called Stuff. There are a variety of books on there. Very good. Anything else you want my, my listeners to know about hoarding or you? Uh, only that I'm at Boston University here yeah. in the School of Social Work where uh, we have a whole team here that works on hoarding problems along with our colleagues across the country. That's great. And they can get you all online from Boston? Yes, they can. From okay. you. Thank you, Gail, very much. Great information. Learned a lot today. And people can find you through Boston University, hoarding, getting your books online at Amazon, and I think you do tremendous work. And thank you for educating the human service professionals because they're out there in these homes that can really mitigate, find problems early, and really help families live safer and happier and get their kids in a safer place too. So thank you very much for all that work. Delighted. Thank you. Thank you. I was joined by my guest expert, Gail Steckety, really interesting, educated, well-versed woman, it's a tough last name, S-T-E-K-E-T-E-E. -E -E. She's at Boston University, the School of Social Work. Put her in, Google her with hoarding, and you're going to get a lot of stuff. She's written some great books. She's even written a book with a couple colleagues that came out last year called The Hoarding Handbook, and it's really geared toward human service professionals to assist all of us that are out there doing community service from social workers to doctors to any field. It doesn't mean you have to be in the mental health field, but as long as you're having contact with others and you're in their homes, you're evaluating their children, you're evaluating them for housing, for food stamps, whatever, take a look at their homes. This is a book that's going to educate you about hoarding. Is there a problem brewing in these homes? Is there somewhere that you can refer them? What are the first steps? So it's a really interesting book and her other books. Uh, the biggest one that, I've, that I know of and have read in the past is called Stuff, and it's about compulsive hoarding and the meaning of things. So it's really very informative on many levels. She taught us a lot about the 
underlyings and the underpinnings of what goes on with hoarding, what are the feelings at the core of that, and how to really begin the dialogue with others and or yourself, and when you cross the line from clutter to hoarding. So it was really great to have her on. And you can find her, she says, by Googling her at Boston University in hoarding. So thank you, Gail. All right, we have one more voicemail. Let's go to that, and then we'll wrap it up. Hey, Dr. Sophie. I was calling to ask you a question about hoarding. I wanted to know when, you know, it was too much and when it starts getting dangerous because I have a friend who honestly has everything in her house. She has stuff from, like, the 70s, and it's so sad that she can't even walk around or get around her house and she's sick all the time and I don't know if it's from all that stuff. I mean, how can I tell her the, you know, how badly it's affecting her without, you know, seeming like a bad friend? If you could please let me know, that would really help me out. Thanks so much. Interesting voicemail. That was from a caller who wanted to know when and how do you begin the dialogue with somebody that you're concerned about, that you think they're maybe on the verge or are hoarding dangerously so. So when we had our expert on earlier, the key factors that Gail had talked about when you begin the dialogue or when you cross that line between clutter and hoarding, safety issues was number one. When is it becoming a safety issue? Safety issue from a physical and an emotional standpoint. And we talked about some of the health problems that could come out of hoarding, whether it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, allergies, skin irritations, obesity, those kinds of things, as well as the physical issues that could provide and make there become a safety issue from tripping and falling, not being able to get out. Or if there was a fire, could the people get in to help you and can you get out to help yourself? Those are the kinds of issues that will help you delineate whether you have crossed the line of clutter versus hoarding and how to begin the dialogue with somebody talking to them about safety issues, both for them and others. And then letting them see that maybe because they have so much stuff, Gail tells us, that you should tell them and show them that they're not able to do the things in their life that they would like to do. For example, a grandmother not able to have over her grandchildren because maybe it's not a safe environment and the children's parents don't want them over there and and the hoarding and the collecting is really not allowing you to live the life that you'd like to live. So feeling embarrassed about people making comments about your home, safety issues, physical issues, emotional issues, all those kinds of things are the things that you have to look at to start that dialogue and know whether you've crossed the line from clutter to hoarding. So I hope that helps. If not, give me some more callbacks, email me, whatever you need. I want you to get your answers so that we can begin these dialogues out in the communities. Again, we had a great expert on, Gail Stakeki from Boston University. She's an expert in hoarding. I want to thank you all for listening and for calling in and sending me some emails and voicemails. And remember, podcasts are always available on my website at www.drsophie.com. You can always call me 24-7, sophie now or 1-855-767-4966. I'm open all the time to hear what you have to say, what your concerns are. I'm on Twitter at at Dr. Sophie. I'm on Facebook. Please follow me. Listen. We have different things coming out every day. And visit iTunes. Don't forget to download that full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most importantly, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down. Hey, you gotta keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down.